New game day shirt? Boom. Cash back. Food for the tailgate? Boom. Cash back. Even buying a round can earn you cash back when you use your debit card. And yes, I said debit card. With Discover Cashback Debit, everyone can earn cash back on everyday purchases. Look, in sports, it's hard to predict who is taking the win, but you know what's guaranteed to win? Discover Cashback Debit. Oh, and did I mention there are no fees, period? I'm telling you, this one, it's a real game changer. Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashbackdebit. Discover Bank, member FDIC. everybody to a weekend review edition of the total soccer show my name is taylor rockwell no rhymes today because we've got too many games to discuss we had wild results in england anxious times for the u.s women's national team smoke bombs in germany much much more to be discussed joining me to talk about all that is a man who taught anya taylor joy everything she knows about fashion it's graham (laughs) ruthven hi graham hello taylor rockwell yes absolutely i did teacher primarily how to record a podcast underneath <laughs> a duvet she decided to wear that duvet yep. to the BAFTAs over the weekend but uh, as I said on Twitter all the best podcasters that, that sweat half their body weight uh, while recording episodes so it's good to see that I am setting a precedent a president for uh, president for uh, the, 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 the celebrities of the world. I mean, you certainly are. I do think that she had the color scheme right, Graham. Uh, maybe instead of the white, the white duvet cover you've gone for, you need that shining gold one, and then you'll look all the more responsible. Oh, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely, yeah. RSL style uh, MLS, their new MLS kit is, 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 I think, that colorway. So maybe well, take a lead from them. We're, we are going to be doing our East and Western Conference previews on Tuesday and Wednesday. They they'll take anywhere between. Five and 400 hours based on the number of teams there. But I'm assuming we will have some Graham Kit reviews thrown in there as well. Oh, absolutely. Try and stop me. <laughs> we will. Uh, joining us as well, <laughs> rounding out our, our three-man crew today, is a man who isn't nervous at all about the U.S. women's national team because they won. We beat Japan. It's all good, right, Joe? Yes, winning is winning is good. Winning takes all the problems away. Uh, that's what I'll say after the U.S. win the World Cup, if they do win the World Cup. And t- until then, I guess I'm not fully in that camp, Taylor. It was it was a fine game. It wasn't a great game. It was a troubling game in a lot of different ways. Um, it was it was a fun way to spend a, a, a Sunday. <laughs> I like that you couldn't even like keep the faux enthusiasm for this team alive long enough to actually be enthusiastic because. It was a win, I guess is what we're looking for in the She Believes Cup versus yeah. Japan. 1-0, courtesy of a lovely, not quite solo goal from Mallory Swanson. It's a ball in from Alex Morgan, but she does a lot of work to make that goal happen. But uh, some worrying signs elsewhere, Joe. Yeah, it, it's like a 98-2 goal. It's like a 98% yeah. Mallory yeah. Swanson and 2% Alex Morgan. Although the ball over the top is good, it just is like significantly too far for every other player on the planet except for Mallory Swanson right now, who is just in ridiculous form for the U.S. Women's National Team. I don't know. Taylor, are we getting right into this thing? Should I, should yeah, I start? Should I, okay, all right. I'm gonna, I'll, I'll drop a, a thumbs up or a thumbs down to get us rolling here. I thought in general we have to start with the goal, and it is a thumbs up to Mallory Swanson for being just so, so good. Her form is 
absolutely absurd. Right now, she has scored a bunch of goals already in 2023. The rate at which she's doing this stuff just doesn't, does not make sense. So she's 24 years old. She's the youngest U.S. Women's National Team player, according to Opta, to score in five straight matches since Alex Morgan in 2012. Five straight games with a goal for Mallory Swanson. That's an impressive tally, and the U.S. needed it in this game. I thought they did some things well. I like some of the ideas behind what they were doing, but really with a, a semi-rotated lineup, Japan gave them problems. Taylor, I don't know how much of this game you watch, Graham. I know it's difficult for you to watch uh, the, these games on the other side of the Atlantic, but from the jump, Japan were out there pressing. Japan are in this 5-4-1. They're pressing extremely aggressively for the first 10, 15 minutes or so. Then they drop off. I think they, they get tired, and it's difficult to sustain that intensity for long periods. But, I mean, they are... They're turning the U.S. over left and right. The U.S. couldn't find Swanson. They couldn't find Lynn Williams. They couldn't find Alex Morgan. I mean, they, it, it was almost always either Christy Mewis or Sofia Huerta, at times Lindsey Horan, getting the ball and build up and just turning it over because they either were sloppy or they couldn't get the ball off their feet fast enough or they couldn't find a pass. That, some of that stuff was troubling, but man, if we're looking for bright sides, the goal and the superstars that this U.S. team has, that's, that's the place to start. I mean, it is, but isn't that sort of like the, not to take us immediately down the negative path again, but I will, um, that is sort of the hallmark of the U.S., right? They have the start performers. They can ride that talent to a certain degree. But as you said, Joe, huge chunks of this game did feel like Japan pressing and making the U.S. uncomfortable, and then Japan being very well organized in how they dropped into defense and how they sort of just sat and made the United States try to beat them. And to your point, it felt very disconnected. It felt like the United States sort of had to rely on individuals and ultimately a mistake from Japan combined with some good individual effort. But there was still that just sort of lack of creativity, that lack of team creativity at that. Yeah, and I'll throw out a couple of thumbs down specifically that are, are paired with that. Really thumbs down to Christy Mewis and thumbs down to uh, to Lindsey Horan mostly and then also to Huerta and maybe a little bit to Fox. I thought all of those players, so it's Christy Mewis at the six, it's Lindsey Horan as the, the left-sided number eight. It is Sofia Huerta as the right back and Emily Fox as the left back. So all those players are pretty key in possession for the U.S. as they're trying to build from the back. And, and none of them were very good. To really spotlight Christy Mewis here, I don't think I care to really ever see her at the number six for the U.S. going forward. Really, what Christy Mewis is good at is she is mobile. She can connect play when she can face forward. That's why mostly we see her as a number eight rather than a number six where we have to play in this 360-degree kind of space. Christy Mewis not very comfortable when she has to turn or receive on the half turn and drive forward or find a pass. She's just not very good under pressure, and I think in that way, Vlaka maybe hung her out to dry a bit in this game because I don't think she was ever going to look good. But Mewis was a tough one, I think a big reason why the U.S. struggled in possession for for large stretches of this one. And then Huerta was just sloppy. I think there's a reason why it seems like we're trending towards Emily Fox at right back and Crystal Dunn at left back being the go-to uh, fullback pairing for the U.S. despite, I guess, you know, regardless of sort of how Crystal Dunn feels about it, although Vlatko apparently is willing to try her other places. I'm not really sure where we stand on all that. But I think that's, if, if I had to put money on it, that would be my expectation for the opening day of the World Cup fullback pairing for the U.S. And I think we saw in this game why it's probably not going to be Sofia Huerta. So thumbs down to some of those players in particular. I will give like like one positive note here. And I, I don't know fully how I feel about this yet. I want to see it more. But the Canada win for the U.S. was good. They beat Canada 2-0 the other day. All the asterisks in the world around you know Canada and the context around the team. You know There is something to be said for all of that and how it takes energy out of you and makes it harder for you to play. 
against one of the best teams in the world. So there are caveats here. But I thought the U.S. was good in that game. They pressed aggressively. They got goals early on. They were a good team. They looked like a team that is dominant and ready to dominate at the World Cup. And they did some good stuff in possession, too. The U.S. didn't do a ton of good stuff with the ball in this game. They had five shots to Japan's 15. They finally got at their own half, like, after five minutes or so of this game. But what I will say is they weren't just lumping the ball long every single time. They weren't getting into the final third and crossing the ball into the box a thousand times in this game. I know that feels like a low bar because it is a low bar for this U.S. team. They should be doing so much more, and they should have been doing that years ago under Vlako at this point. But it does sort of seem to me like you know, the execution wasn't there in this game, but the intent was inching closer to where I feel it should be for this U.S. team, where they shouldn't immediately fold under pressure. They shouldn't just have to set up for second balls and transition moments. They should be able to do that stuff, but they should also be able to combine and play through pressure and find gaps in the final third and like I said, all of it didn't come off cleanly in this game. Most of it didn't come off cleanly, and that's the problem now. But it did sort of seem to me like the U.S. between the Canada game and, and maybe stretches of this game are sort of trending to a place where I'm more comfortable with when they have mm -hmm. the ball. I don't know if we're all the way there yet. I, I mean, I know we're not all the way there yet. I don't know if we're actually ever going to get there or not by the time July rolls around. But, you know, maybe that's like a thumb 15 degrees up for some of the <laughs> ideas we're starting to see form for the U.S. And we do have a few players missing. So, uh, uh, Sophia Smith doesn't doesn't play in this one. Crystal Dunn doesn't play in this one. Nor does Rose Lavelle. Uh, listen, Nair uh, is also on the bench. So we might see a stronger team uh, playing in the final game. We will probably see a stronger starting eleven when the Women's World Cup rolls around. Joe, of the players that came in in the second half uh, that could play sort of meaningful minutes, Taylor Corniette comes in with like five minutes to go. But uh, Emily Sonnet comes on for Huerta, Trinity Rodman for Lynn Williams, Andy Sullivan for Ashley Sanchez, Megan Rapino for Mallory Swanson, uh, and Ashley Hatch for Alex Morgan. Did you think any of them stood out in a positive or negative way? None of them really wowed me. I'm, I'm mm -hmm. kind of fascinated by Taylor Corniette's fit with this team. Black Coast tried her some at the six. She was definitely not playing the six when she comes on in this game. Uh, but but she brings a ton on set pieces and maybe can bring some in open play as well. I'm curious about her fit. I don't I don't think we saw a lot of her in those five minutes. Ashley Hatch, I think is is not going to be at the World Cup when Katarina Macario comes back and is involved. Megan Rapino, I I don't really see having a meaningful role with this team. I don't I, I think we're kind of past that at this point. Similar to how Tobin Heath it, it appears has been almost all the way phased out. And I know there's there's maybe other other injury factors and things there, but. I don't, I'm not expecting a lot from Rapino. Rodman is the one of all those players you mentioned, Taylor, that I think has the biggest ability to change the U.S. and, and to continue to help them improve. But I don't. the second half to me, and I don't know if you felt this way, Taylor, was kind of sloggy. Like the U.S. Mm -hmm. got their goal um, from Swanson, and, and that was fantastic. And then it, it sort of felt like, all right, we got ours. We don't need to, to do a ton here. And Japan, we're, we're trying to make life difficult for them. So I didn't, I didn't see a ton from the subs. I don't know if you did. One, one player that I do think was really good in this game is Casey Murphy in goal. She made a, a number of really massive saves towards the end of this match. I think she's pretty locked in as Vlatko's number two at this point. Uh, it seems like the, the starting job is Alyssa Nair's to lose, but I mean, credit to Murphy because she kept the U.S. It really, not, not just in the game, but she kept them getting out of here with three points ahead of the final game against Brazil and I thought was, was really, really sharp, which is good for her. And, and really good for this U.S. team ahead of the World Cup, which is getting way closer and way closer by the day. I think this question will make sense. Always a good place to start. It will be my last one on this game. Joe, when we talked, we had the question 
uh, last week about like which teams do we think could actually beat the United States or are most likely to beat the United States at the Women's World Cup. But I think what we all landed on is we still see this team, even with their struggles, making the semifinals or thereabouts before they run into a fairly strong team. Some of that has to do with the way that the draw likely will, will play out and a lot of the very, very historically strong teams being on the other side of the bracket. Did you see anything from this game either positively or negatively, that has you feeling different about that prediction from us? No, no, not yet. My, my biggest encouragement still with this team, besides all the star power, is how easy the bracket appears to be. And that, that's not to minimize these other teams, but there is still an objective quality difference between the U.S. and a lot of the other teams that we mapped out along that road to the semifinal. That's when it really starts to get real. If the U.S. run into obstacles before then that, that we don't expect, and we'll go through and preview all of this stuff before the World Cup starts... So there's plenty more uh, to talk about with all of this stuff. But, I mean, it, it, the semifinals is, is when it's going to start to get, you know, difficult. Or, or, like, genuinely, genuinely difficult. The U.S. could lose this game and be done. And then we're, we're grappling with that reality. I don't think the road to get there really changed all that much based off of what I saw yesterday. And my outlook on this team didn't change all that much either for the positive or for the negative. All right. Well, speaking of grappling with reality, uh, Graham Ruthven has been silent for most of this section. Uh, some of that, I'm assuming, has to do with uh, spilling half of a green tea onto his laptop before we started recording. <laughs> Graham, uh, tea watch, how are we doing on the laptop front? Uh, so I haven't tried typing on the keyboard for a while now, um, so maybe I should give that a go sometime soon, yeah. But I'm, I'm hopeful that green tea, it feels like a normal cup of breakfast tea with milk might be slightly more damaging to a MacBook than green tea itself. So I'm, I'm pinning my hopes on that at this moment. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, well, I'm glad you're still with us. I'm glad we can still hear you. Uh, I have done that myself uh, multiple times. I spilled orange juice on mine once. That didn't go well. Joe, I'm assuming you have never spilled anything on a laptop because you are precise and disciplined. Oh, no. I am like genuinely pretty clumsy. So I uh, I spilled an entire cup of water on a laptop as well. That one did not make it RIP. Um, that was several <laughs> years ago. What to hear, Joe. I know. This is <laughs> the thing. Good, like, good news stories. Uh, all I'm, of my stories are going to end with, and then the hard drive was fried. <laughs> Sorry, I mean, maybe, maybe the tea is going to help your laptop like grow and improve. Maybe hey. there's like something in the tea that's going to turn it into nah, mm, not Taylor. I don't think he's. Bu- I don't think he's buying it. I'm not sure I'm buying it anymore yeah. either. I've, I've never heard of performance enhancing tea, Joe. Well, so you aren't looking in the right place. Mate, man, sure. mate's performance enhancing tea that counts. There you go. Hopefully, you spilled mate on it. Uh, all right. Well, Joe, thank you for running us through the USA uh, versus Japan. I remain anxious. I remain nervous. But it's basically kind of. More of the same that we've been talking about, it feels like. That they're still good. They still have the individual talent. There are just signs that it's not quite that sort of cohesive unit we would like it to be. Maybe that uh, performance is elevated when like the, the pedal meets the metal or whatever it may be. Uh, but for now, we'll keep talking about the U.S. women as they prepare for the World Cup. Uh, and then in a more immediate fashion, we're going to take a break. And then we will come back to talk about the Premier League action from the weekend back soon. New game day shirt, boom, cash back. Food for the tailgate, boom, cash back. Even buying a round can earn you cash back when you use your debit card. And yes, I said debit card. With Discover Cashback Debit, everyone can earn cash back on everyday purchases. Look, in sports, it's hard to predict who is taking the win, but you know what's guaranteed to win? Discover Cashback Debit. Oh, and did I mention there are no fees, period? I'm telling you, this one. It's a real game changer. Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashback debit. Discover Bank, member FDIC. 
Did you know that even if you have a 401k for retirement, you can still have an IRA? Robinhood has the only IRA that gives you a 3% boost on every dollar you contribute when you subscribe to Robinhood Gold. But get this, now through April 30th, Robinhood is even boosting every single dollar you transfer in from another retirement account with a 3% match. That's right, no cap on the 3% match. Robinhood Gold gets you the most for your retirement thanks to their IRA with a 3% match this offer is good through April 30th. Get started at Robinhood.com slash boost. Subscription fees apply. And now for some legal info. Claim as of Q1 2024 validated by Radius Global Market Research. Investing involves risk including loss. Limitations apply to IRAs and 401ks. 3% match requires Robinhood Gold for one year from the date of first 3% match. Must keep Robinhood IRA for five years. The 3% matching on transfers is subject to special terms and conditions. Robinhood IRA available to U.S. customers in good standing. Robinhood Financial LLC member SIPC is a registered broker. Dealer. Welcome back to the Total Soccer Show. During the break, Graham was excitedly regaling us with how good the England women's national team no, looked excitedly. in their games. I've uh, never Gra- done that about an England team in my life. <laughs> Graham was thrilled. He found them engaging. He felt like England were really the national team of the present reality. Uh, Graham, you wanted to spend what, 20 minutes talking about how good England are? England are good, and that is bad news for the rest of the world, it seems. <laughs> At least we're having this conversation now before Ryan Bailey can, can find a microphone and, uh, and sing the praises of England uh, and somehow work in his hatred of Giorgio Chiellini at the same time. I'm sure that would be in there. Uh, instead of doing that, let's talk about the Premier League. I want to talk about uh, Aston Villa 2, Arsenal 4. I want to talk about Arsenal and how they played their way back into this one. But first, I want to talk about how this game was just really, really fun. It was six very memorable goals. It was chaos. It was pressing. It was Tom Hanks in the stands. Graham, did it tick all the boxes for you? Oh, absolutely. So thumbs up to, as you say, this match being incredibly entertaining. And thumbs up to Tom Hanks catching a very uh, exciting game. Although maybe he wasn't so happy with the the final score, given his allegiance. Does anyone know why Tom Hanks is a Villa fan? I didn't know the reason until this weekend, and I decided to Google it. Apparently, he, he just liked the he just liked the name. Oh, because he thought Aston Villa was an actual place, and he thought it was like some sort of quaint spa town, and not England's second biggest city. So, people, <laughs> we've had we've had a lot of questions recently, seemingly oh, on listener man. questions about how to pick a team in the Premier League or how to pick an NWSL team. It could just be that you like the name, and Tom Hanks has kind of been an Aston Villa fan for I think about about fifteen years now. So uh, he does genuinely seem to have some sort of connection to that club. Aston Villa by full time oh made to rue. Miss opportunities in this match. It really did feel like they were going to get something out of it. And I guess thumbs up to Arsenal for defying the narrative because it felt like the narrative was sort of overwhelming in this match. Their their, their title challenge seemed to be crumbling and they had to go and face an Unai Emery team, of all people, um, who that, who took the lead against Arsenal very early on. They had opportunities in that first half. I don't think that first half performance was very good by Arsenal. They seemed to be playing on the edge a lot. Aston Villa were getting in behind a lot. And at about half time of this match, there's people on Twitter on my timeline, and I'm not trying to shame these people because this is what I'm trying to say about the narrative. It kind of felt like it was building to an unavoidable point. There's people saying Arsenal would be, fin- it would be lucky to finish second in the Premier League this season because it really did feel at half time like their season was coming apart at the seams. But they deserve huge credit 
for playing a very good second half to turn things around, but also just for having the willpower and mental strength to do that. I said last week after the City game that Arsenal's mental strength will be tested or would be tested, and this was a huge, huge win in in that regard. Who do you think was more disappointed? The Arsenal supporters at halftime or Tom Hanks when he arrived in Birmingham thinking it was going to be a quaint spa town and (laughs) finding out that it was not quite that? Yeah, I mean, Birmingham, the the traditional image of Birmingham is very much sort of uh, smokestacks and plumes of smoke and very industrial. It's kind of the industrial heartland of England traditionally. So, yeah, not not a, a, a quaint spat out really yeah. Killian Murphy riding a horse through the streets that that's sort of the vibe that uh that I think Birmingham modern modern Birmingham is maybe trying to get away from so hopefully Tom Hanks had a lovely weekend there but as you said Graham Arsenal having uh the better time Joe Joe it sounds like you uh share my joy in watching this one maybe this one was slightly more enjoyable f- from start to finish than the USA's one no win over Japan Oh, I mean, from an entertainment perspective, absolutely, right? The goals, you mentioned them, Taylor. I think it's a really good point. All of them you know, were memorable, right? The mm-hmm. Ollie Watkins finish in the fifth minute is yep. a fantastic goal for him on the left side of the box. Saka's volley is mm-hmm. one of the cleanest hits I have seen in a long time. He roofs it from such an impressive angle, strikes it so beautifully. That's the 16th minute. That gets Arsenal on the board and ties this thing at 1-1. And then Coutinho scores a really nice goal arriving in the box. That makes it 2-1 to Villa. And then Zinchenko scores what was his first Premier League goal? Is that right? Is that I believe that's what I had down in my notes. Now I'm, I'm doubting myself, but Zinchenko scores regardless of whether it's his first or not in the 61st minute with a really nice left-footed finish on the right side of the box after a set piece. And then Jorginho gets a goal in stoppage time, which is massive. And this is the funniest one of all, obviously, because it's the Jorginho shot from yeah. from distance that then hits the post. No, that, that hits the hits the woodwork. Excuse me, hits the hits the crossbar bounces the the bounce I think is the key here I think the bounce is the underrated hero of all of it and is what makes it so funny it it hits the hits the bar it bounces then it hits the back of Emmy Martinez's head and goes in and it is just chaos in that moment for it to happen like that after the year that I guess the last six months or you know three months whatever it's been that uh that Emmy Martinez has had for Arsenal to get a goal that way from Jorginho which I think also just kind of makes it funnier I don't know why that was an incredible moment, one of the best of the Premier League season so far. And then the final goal for Arsenal comes after Villa have sent everyone forward, right? The goalkeeper's up. They want to get something. Arsenal just countered the other way and, and put the ball into the back of the empty net. But all the goals here were so good from an entertainment perspective. Yeah, this is th- thumbs up to me for this one because I think this was yeah. the, the best and most thrilling Premier League game of the weekend. Thumbs up to uh, karma being a real thing, certainly for (laughs) French fans who still remember Emi Martinez's uh, antics from the World Cup final a few months ago. But also from an Arsenal point of view, because he was doing, Emi Martinez was was performing the full Emi Martinez routine. Uh, well, not not quite the full routine because he didn't have a golden glove to hand, but there was there was time wasting and put housery, of course, against his former team as well. So for the, the winning goal, I know there was a fourth goal, but the goal that really cracked open this game for it to come off the back of his head <laughs> was, uh, was, just, was just wonderful. And for the fourth goal, Unai Emery was absolutely fuming with him for for that. Um, completely unprompted, he says after the match, as, as pretty much his first comment, that he never asked Emi Martinez to go up for the corner. And he sticks on it as well for, for you know, two or three sentences. And he says he won't be doing that again. 
And uh, keep in mind that Emmy Martinez didn't come back back into this Villa team as quickly as he might have after the World Cup. So my conclusion is, after those comments and just everything that I, reading between the lines, I don't think Unai Emery likes Emmy Martinez very much to dig out one of your players publicly like that. But yeah, it was it was a fantastic moment, very entertaining game. I, I just can't believe that Jorginho didn't go and get the ball after the ball went in off the back of Martinez's head and did to and do to the ball what Martinez did with the golden glove at the World Cup as a as a celebration. That would have been my first thought is I'm doing the Emmy Martinez celebration with this ball. Uh, I kind of wish he had. That would have been a lovely moment. That goal was great. Even if it ends up as an own goal, I feel bad for Jorginho because maybe he deserves a little bit of credit for the way he hits that one. Uh, but I was also confused by Emi Martinez going up for that corner. At the same time, if you're 3-2 down and it is the dying moments, I can understand why he would do that. Graham, do you lean one way or the other on how appropriate that was or if that was sort of a silly play in the end? I don't think it's appropriate midway through a league season where, I mean, it seems unlikely, of course, but you never know. Goal difference could matter for something. It could be a top half finish for Villa, or it seems unlikely they're going to get into Europe, Europe, but you never know. They could have a very good run towards the end of the season. I think if it's it's a knockout competition, I think you might as well, because if you're you're that deep in stoppage time, just sending another player into the box to create the chaos, you never know. One time out of 100, maybe you score a goal from that. But in league play, maybe not the most calculated of moves, which feels very Emmy Martinez on on brand for him, (laughs) frankly. On brand, indeed. Uh, Joe, speaking of on brand, uh, I have a question for you. In the second half, Nketiah steals the ball off Konza, plays it to a wide-open Martin Odegaard, who fails to hit the target. He shoots it wide, even with Emmy Martinez out of position. The obvious question. Yeah. (laughs) Should he have done better there? I mean, of course, you have to be better there. I mean, anybody can score that shot. I mean, you put all of us out there on the field and we're all banging that one into the back of the net. I'm getting like traumatic flashbacks to sitting in <laughs> sitting in our Airbnb in Brooklyn and like Graham and I talking across the room at each other back and forth about this idea for like a good 12 minutes. Um, I don't really want to relive that experience now, but I, I did see that miss. And it's a tough moment, right? I mean, it is brutal for Arsenal who needs something out of this game. And, and by something, I mean three points, I guess, and not one one point this was massive for their title chances so I went in and, and looked at the odds from 538 before this match so heading into the weekend Arsenal had 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 the advantage in the Premier League odds to win the title for a while now they'd been top of the table they'd had the gap on Man City but then after that that result on Wednesday that we talked about on the Champions League episode you know February 15th uh Man City are up to 62 percent to win the Premier League that's according to 538 which left uh which left Arsenal at 34 percent then after this result, and after Man City's result, which we haven't talked about yet, but I think we will mention briefly, it totally flip-flops. Not to that extreme, but Arsenal are now back up to 49%, and City are down to 47%. So that's how important this win was for Arsenal, and, and how helpful City's draw yeah. with Forrest was. But I mean, this is, like, I, I think we've laid it out properly, but just to add the numbers element behind it, Graham, you did a good job of talking about the importance of this and, and the narrative like, this is season-changing stuff. I do think there's a part of me that will always think back to this Arsenal result and City's draw not finishing off their chances as one of the pivotal moments of the title race. And and this title race, for me anyway, just speaking personally, has so far been the most enjoyable that we've had in recent years. I can't remember if I if I mentioned this. We do a lot of podcasts, and I can't remember what show I might have mentioned <laughs> this on before. But in recent years, it's felt like... The teams at the top of the Premier League have just been so good that even when we've had a quote-unquote title race, it's kind of two teams just sprinting to the finish. 
and actually, in, ter- in terms of entertainment, it's not been that enjoyable. This season reminds me of the title races we'd had between Ferguson's Man United and Wenger's Arsenal, where as good as those teams were, they did drop points. They lost games. There were twists and turns throughout the season. I remember the 98-99 season. Manchester United looked out of it maybe eight games from the end of the season. Arsenal then dropped points. Manchester United come back into it. I don't think the two teams involved this season are as good as you know Liverpool and Man City have been in recent years. But as I say, from an entertainment point of view, I much, much prefer this. I, from the entertainment point of view, I also enjoyed the drama of this game. When we get the moment of Arteta mimicking the referee in a way a child would, I think when the score was still level, when I think the referee said like the ball was still moving and it cut to Arteta and he was like, oh, the ball's still moving. Like, <laughs> it, it, that felt like a very Kevin Keegan, like, oh, he is losing his mind with frustration and anger. And, and it did seem like things were, were getting away from him. I was a little bit nervous about how this was going to play out. And I watched Match of the Day specifically for this game because I wanted to see if they had thoughts on what Arsenal did differently in the second half or what, like, you know, genius tactical decisions Mikel Arteta made that brought them back into this. And the consensus seems to be that he just screamed at them in the locker room and really was very uh, sort of reminding them what was on the line, what was expected of them. And they just sort of wrote, like, raised their game collectively in the second half. And as oversimplified as that sounds, and I'm sure there's some tactical instruction in there. It just sounds like there was a a reinstilling of belief into the team in this in the at halftime that brought them out for the second half ready to go, and they were, and that they fight back and get this win. I do think is is a massive moment for them in what has been a down period. So, Graham, are are you feeling better about Arsenal's title aspirations at this point? Not that you have love for Arsenal one way or the other. Oh, I think you have to after a win like this. I mean, it feels like every week we're saying potential turning point, potential yep. turning yep. point, and that yep. takes me back to what this title race is, is like. But this could potentially be a big turning point for Arsenal in their season. I look forward to them dropping points. I don't actually know who they've got next, but I'm yeah. sure they're going to drop points in that game and we're going to be right back where we started. But yeah, very impressed with how Arsenal... It just felt like in the second half they were more focused on imposing their own game. I think in the first half there was still a... Uh, it felt like they were feeling the absence of Thomas Partey at the base of the midfield. Yeah. And I know Jorginho comes in. And actually, I enjoyed... I know he gets the goal, which is technically not his goal, but I know he gets the winning goal. But I thought there was a lot to take from how he gives Arsenal a different dimension where he can play these passes from, from deep and behind, primarily for Saka to get in behind. But there was also one for Martinelli on the other side as well. And as good as Partey has been for Arsenal, they, they haven't really had that dim- that dimension. So that is something new. They, they have the variety of Odegaard being higher up and prodding those little passes through or Jorginho being slightly blunter with passes from deep. And I thought that was a big positive for Arsenal. And as I say, it just felt like the second half, they imposed themselves a little bit. They kind of embraced the fight. This was quite, a, quite an idly mm-hmm. match between Arteta, as you say there, Taylor, Unai Emery felt like he was very much up for getting one over his over his old team. I was reading today before we started recording that uh, there was a fight between the analysts of the two clubs in the yeah. press box as well. Yeah. I really hope someone filmed that because I want to see what a fight between football analysts is like. There was graph paper flying <laughs> everywhere, computer mice getting thrown between people in those little round uh, spectacles, those little round glasses. Yeah, throwing printouts of Y-Scout, uh, Y-Scout uh, footage. Yeah, I, I really want to see what that was like. <laughs> Joe, any, any thoughts on what an analyst scrum would look like? 
I mean, I think it's just pretty much the conversation that Graham and I had in Brooklyn. <laughs> I think that's all it is. But with more graph paper being thrown around, Graham, you're entirely right. Maybe, maybe there was like a, a Google, a Google Slides document that was open that wasn't supposed to be open that fell into the wrong hands. I mean, I know a lot of that stuff goes around. There's all sorts of ways this could go. Um, Graham, I saw that on Twitter as well. Didn't fully know if it was real or not. And now that you've said it, I, I fully believe it. I love that so much. Oh yeah, it's definitely real. They've, they've been both clubs have been reported to the FA for it, so the Unreal. FA's going to investigate it, That's which fantastic. is hilarious. That is absolutely fantastic. Uh, they were changing Excel spreadsheet data, and it just uh, it took off from there. Uh, we <laughs> so we've talked a bit about Arsenal and maybe this being their 14th tor- turning point of the season. Let's spend some time with Man City, uh, who could only muster the one to one draw with Nottingham Forest. A good draw for Forest, obviously not just drawing City, but the way they did uh, getting the late goal and uh, and I think not succumbing to the Man City storm uh, in this one. Graham, City conceded their 11th away goal of the season, uh, but it was at the other end. They really let themselves down. I'm trying to figure out how to put this in an informed way. Uh, Graham, why City no score more? <laughs> yeah, so maybe there was also a fight between analysts at this game as well, because thumbs down to expected goals meaning anything at yeah. all. Because the final yeah, score Joe. didn't didn't reflect uh, <laughs> didn't reflect the XG. So basically, what I'm trying to say is that, and what you're saying, Taylor, as well, is that yeah. City had lots of chances. They could have been out of sight, uh, but they were made to pay for that wastefulness late on, as as Nottingham Forest took pretty much their only clear cut opportunity from from the whole match. Um, there were three huge City chances in particular. The one where Foden was was through and probably should have squared it uh, quicker. He, he ends up squaring it in the end, but it's, it's kind of like Foden. I do wonder if the presence of Haaland, if Haaland's not there, or maybe Foden just sweeps it past the goalkeeper rather than having the option of squaring it to him. I still think the easy decision is to square it to Erling Haaland, but you should have done it sooner. Um, then you have the free header from Imer Laporte, which uh, I believe Killer Navas uh, saved squarely with his uh with his testicles and <laughs> then the the double Haaland chance yes. on on the rebound so three huge city opportunities um soccer is weird sometimes so i can't really explain why city weren't able to score a second and that's not the first time we've seen that from them this season it has become a feature of their play occasionally um which is a weird paradox because they've now got a striker who scores like 10 goals a game and yet somehow wastefulness has been a feature of the of their season but the way that Forrest scored their equaliser also underlined how City can be vulnerable against teams with speed and behind I do think Forrest have settled on an identity identity under Steve Cooper I know they've got they've signed a million different players and the first half of the season was about finding that identity I think certainly against the higher caliber teams Cooper has now recognized the, the threat that they have in quick transition and they leaned into this particularly in the second half through players like Brennan Johnson and Morgan Gibbs White and obviously uh, Chris Wood scoring the 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 equalizer with a, a tap in from close range after good work on the on the right side and I do wonder if Marco Rosa was watching this match I'm sure his analysts, uh, to give the analysts another mention, they'll be watching this game because RB Leipzig playing City in the Champions League, Champions League this week. I see a team that can replicate a lot of what Nottingham Forest did, but to an even better and, and higher quality, quality degree. It's sort of always like the button-down ones who who end up being the wild ones. So in my mind now, there's like an analyst fight club where they all put aside yes. their, their data and analytics and then they like walk into a cement room and then off come the, 
the ties and smart blazers and uh, and vests and sweater overcoats and that sort of thing. Uh, Joe, we've had a lot of of shots taken at XG, uh, mostly by me, but some by Graham. Um, how much of this was Man City struggling to take their chances, and how much of this was Kaylor Navas being Kaylor Navas? Because did he have some moments? I love watching Kaylor Navas decide, like, yeah, you know what? No more goals for you. You all are you all are going to be frustrated for the rest of the game. Yeah, I think it was some of both for mm-hmm. sure in this game. Navas had a number of really impressive saves. Who, I mean, Navas has already come and claimed Jesse Marsh's soul in the Premier League, so that's one. <laughs> Man City, I guess, is is sort of two here. It's a pretty impressive yep. running list that he's that he's uh, generating here in England. I'm I'm here for it. Yeah, I mean, Navas is a phenomenal keeper in the fact that Forrest can come out and snag him in the January transfer window. Granted, on on loan. But I mean, it, it's just, we talked about this after the window closed. It's just another example of the financial might and the, the, uh, of the Premier League and the fact that it, it really is the final destination in Europe at this point. That, that really maybe wasn't true a decade ago, but is certainly true now. For, for City, they're going to be kicking themselves after this game. They're going to be kicking themselves that they didn't find a way to get past Kaylor Navas just one more time in this game. The goal from Bernardo Silva is phenomenal. Um, but, like, this stuff happens. You know, Graham, you talked about City being wasteful this season. They were they were clearly wasteful in this game, and there have been other moments where they've been wasteful. They're still overperforming their XG by, like, 10 goals this year. I mean, they are they are still scoring goals at a, a really impressive rate. The truth is, I, I don't, I'm not sure this is, like, a, a great example of soccer being weird as far as the game goes. I think this is just, like, what happens in soccer. We've all watched an ungodly amount of soccer games in our lives. You you two more more than me, but I, I like to think that I'm slowly catching up over time. But like, I mean, we, we could have had this exact same conversation after thousands of games that, that have happened over the last, you know, year, decade, whatever we want to pick. Like, this is just how this sport works. And sometimes it feels silly. Uh, <laughs> but I mean, City, City will kick themselves for not putting one away and not snagging three points. But the reality is they're going to come out next game and score four. They're going to come out the game after that and score three and they're going to be fine. This is just a normal dip, I think, for for a really, really good soccer team. It's just unfortunate that it happens. I'm not trying to minimize the the impact of that dip. It's extremely unfortunate for City that it happens in this game after Arsenal get their result or on the same weekend as Arsenal get their result. This would have been a, a massive one to win, but they don't and put Arsenal back in the driver's seat. And this goes back to what Graham said. This thing has been a winding road and it has been a ton of fun. Joe, I am now into the idea of Kaylor Navas as an agent of chaos. So he yes. comes in. Yes. We get Jesse Marsh sacked after that one. Now they've gotten the point against City. It's West Ham next. Who knows if he stands on his head? Maybe he scores a goal of his own. West Ham get frustrated. They sack David Moyes. Then it's Forrest versus Everton. Spurs versus Forrest. That could be one where, where things take a turn. Newcastle's in there as well. Wolves in there. There's some interesting games coming up for Kaylor Navas to create more Premier League chaos, but he has done a great job of it so far. Uh, so much so that I, I do agree with Graham, though. That one miss from Holland, not the first miss, but the second one where he skies it. I, I'm assuming he just like put some sort of spell on him because I was sure that had taken a deflection and it was going to be a corner. That Holland just skied one from like eight yards out into a somewhat open goal. Uh, again, Joe probably should have done better there. Of course, should have done. Yeah. Has to do better there. Actually, that's the one I love the most. Has to. That, yeah, has, has to. to. This is this is funny that we're having this discussion because driving back from the Albion game on Saturday, Chris Waddle uh, was was the co-commentator on BBC Five Live, and I was listening to the Liverpool Newcastle game. And three times in the opening ten minutes, Chris Waddle says he he has to score there. He should have scored there. Now I subscribe to the belief oh, that yes. in very occasion on very uh, occasional instances, you can use that term when it is an absolute sit. 
Twitter. So I then watched the highlights of that game thinking, wow, there must have been like three golden opportunities. And honestly, they must be like 0.1 XG opportunities where Chris Waddle's saying you have to score. You have to. Yeah. I, I, when, I, when I heard that, Joe, I, was, I felt myself edging more to your side of the argument. Thank you. I ben. forgot. Thank you. I- I forgot that it's actually that one. He has to score there. That's the one that annoys Joe more oh, yeah. than you've got to be doing better there. Or should have done better. There. Like, like, have you even that. played soccer? That, well, that's what I was thinking. Like, have you even played soccer before? Like, you you understand how this works. I mean, if you find the perfect human that can Chris score all these goals, good. I'm sure he was. Uh, I'm also confident that he missed a few shots throughout his career. Uh, so, yeah, I just it's it's nonsense. It's very Chris Lottie, silly. You got to be making the point there. You got to be making the point. point there. Has to make that, it. Has to make that, it better. You got to. Too. Um, let's talk. Speaking of uh, not making points, let's talk about Chelsea. Uh, they lose one uh, nil to Southampton. Really <laughs> Chelsea have one win in 2023. Uh, that's one in the last ten in all competitions. Joe, do you want me to save you some time and just find the audio of you talking about Chelsea the last time we talked about <laughs> yeah. them losing and just insert it here? Actually, I think I'm editing, so I don't want to do. I don't want to okay. actually go through and do that. <laughs> um, but yeah, just pretend that I'm saying things about Chelsea being sort of listless with the ball and struggling, and I don't know how this team's going to turn it around. You can just sort of add those things here. I do think this is actually like a slightly better performance from Chelsea, and the Dortmund game was actually kind of half-decent too. But uh, they're still in big trouble because the Champions League is kind of where they they should be, slash need to be, slash have to be, and it seems like that is not going to happen at this point. So Chelsea in a very tough spot. Indeed. I agree with you, though. I think there were moments in this game where we started, maybe not started to see, but I could see moments where if a pass comes off a little bit faster, if a decision is made a little bit more quickly, I, I think there are goals there. I think this team does start to look better. It's just, does that happen? Are we still getting the foundation of Potterball? Uh, oh, boy. It's become a ball. Now we're in trouble. Sorry, ball, Potterball, Lampard ball. That, that never ends well. Uh, but it, it did just seem like there were smarter runs. There were smarter moments. Kai Havertz just kind of failed to complete passes a bunch of times and it didn't really work out. Uh, Graham, do we have anything new to say about Chelsea or should we spend some time on James Ward-Prowse? Let's give Ward, Ward-Prowse. Ward-Prowse, I was going to call him Wardy-Prowse. What nickname would Ward-Prowse have? Uh, a football Wardy-Prowse. Yeah, Wardy-Prowse. I, yeah. I think probably not either of those, actually. JWP. Okay. We need yeah. JWP. James? What's it called? James. James. Jamesy, <laughs> Jamesy, yeah, of course, uh, yeah. What? Uh, he's he's very good at taking free kicks. I think James we can Cakes. say that. James uh, uh, yeah, Jamesy Cakes, very <laughs> good free kick taker. One behind, I believe, David Beckham's all-time Premier League record, which David Beckham achieved that with Manchester United, who, as you might have heard, were very good and won lots of trophies. Uh, Jamesy Cake has <sighs> what has has made that achieved that record with Southampton, who have not been very good. Certainly not very good this season, and not very good. For the majority of his time at that club, I don't know if that statistically makes it less likely that he'll score more free kicks, but in my mind, something about that makes it more impressive. And this was another beauty for yeah. him. His his technique is just ridiculous. What is and it? Is it is it the dip? Is it the power behind it? Like it's it is definitely because Beckham had obviously the bend, the curve, the swerve, whatever. Yeah. For me, the way Prowse is able to where Prowse is able to get it up and then back down, so that this ball like. I think it bounces before it goes into the net. That's how much dip is on this one. Yeah, the dip is incredible. I also think when you see his free kicks, the the, the way that most free kick takers take a free kick, it's a very different technique to striking a shot. 
if that makes sense, because you obviously you have to get it up and over the wall. You're trying to get that elevation that ordinarily you wouldn't you wouldn't normally want to have on a shot. Something about Ward Prowse's free kicks, it's almost like the wall's not even there. He just he just shoots like he would normally, and he's very good at it. He's 28 now, James Ward Prowse, and not that I'm trying to take him away from Southampton because I get the feeling he'll be very important for their hopes of staying up this season. But I am surprised that nobody has come in for it, like a like a bigger, like a big six, traditional big six club has, hasn't come in for him. Because when you've got that threat from set pieces, and it's not just the goals he scores from free kicks, it's the deliveries, it's the corner kicks as well that he takes. Having someone that can provide that on a team is hugely valuable. And even if there are other parts of his game that are lacking, and I'm not necessarily saying that that is the case, I'm just surprised that someone like Tottenham haven't, mm-hmm. haven't made a move for him at some point. Well, give it some time. We'll see what happens with Tottenham for the rest of the season. But that that does feel like a signing uh, they could make. Or Liverpool. We know that Liverpool like to uh, to pick up a Southampton player here and there every now and then. Oh, they do. Uh, uh, w- let's talk about Liverpool's 2-0 win over Newcastle in just a second. First, one more quick break, and then we'll come back. Today's episode of the Total Soccer Show is brought to you by Indochino. MLS is back, which means MLS fits are back. We got to see FC Dallas's cowboy hat move from player to player, and Iramendi rocked that thing after their win recently over the San Jose Earthquakes. We're getting to see pregame fits. Another FC Dallas player, and Kosi Tafare never disappoints. Will Trapp over in Minnesota has surprisingly good pregame fits for the Loons. Athletes love to have the right fit, and so do we. We love wearing our sports gear, but you can't wear a jersey all the time. Indochino makes fully customized suits that don't require a trip to the tailor to get that perfect fit. Indochino has high quality suits that are designed to fit you. They're made to your exact measurements and customizations, endless customization options at that. This is custom clothing, folks, at a surprisingly affordable price. We're talking quality wools, linen, and cotton in different colors and patterns. Indochino.com is your one-stop shop for all of this stuff. The ordering process is easy. The site is super simple, clean, and easy to use to find suits, shirts, pants, blazers, outerwear, all of that good stuff over at Indochino.com. If you want to level up your game with Indochino, go to Indochino.com and use code ATHLETIC to get 10% off any purchase of $399 or more. That's 10% off at I-N-D-O-C-H-I-N-O.com with code ATHLETIC. That's I-N-D-O-C-H-I-N-O.com with code ATHLETIC. This episode is brought to you by LinkedIn Jobs, who would like to remind you when you're hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. You don't want to end up with Ryan Graham and Joe. Just kidding. Just kidding. Very much just kidding, because I was very fortunate to have the three of them all join the show, and I had existing relationships with all three of them that allowed me to know that they could handle the the the, uh, the amount of work that would be required, that they could be diligent in their tasks and be very effective on mic, and all three of them are. But again, that's because you have the existing relationship. If you don't feel like you have that with potential hires, then LinkedIn is going to to make it very, very easy, and they're going to make it feel like you're connected to that person. They have a vast network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire because it gives you access to professionals you can't find anywhere else. But when you are setting the requirements and making it very specific as to what you're looking for, you can 
very quickly narrow it down to find the right candidate for that position. Hiring is easy when you have that many candidates. So easy, in fact, that 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. And LinkedIn is constantly finding ways to make the process easier. They even just launched a feature that helps you write job descriptions, making the process even easier and quicker. 2.5 million small businesses use LinkedIn for hiring, and you can too. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash TSS. That's linkedin.com slash TSS to post your job for free. Terms and conditions do apply. Thank you very much to LinkedIn for sponsoring today's episode. Welcome back to the Total Soccer Show. We're going to talk Liverpool's 2-0 win at Newcastle. First off, thumbs up from me to Newcastle supporters for commemorating Christian Atsu, their former player whose body was recovered in Turkey after the the deadly earthquakes there. He had been missing since early February when his apartment building collapsed. He played for the club, I believe, over 100 times as well as a few other Premier League clubs. Uh, But the ovation for him was genuinely very lovely for, for a former player. Uh, who I think at, at only 31, it, w- it was very, very shocking, as have been many of the scenes out of Turkey. So a lovely moment from the Newcastle supporters. I will pause for a moment because I am then moving us to later territory when I say, less lovely was Jurgen Klopp not wearing glasses. It always throws me off every time he's rocking contacts or maybe he went for LASIK. I don't know what it is. I expect the the big lenses in there. Maybe that's the thing that happens more often. But every time I see him not wearing glasses, I'm not... sure it's him versus the assistant on the bench who looks kind of like him. We've talked about this before. I don't know why every manager has their doppelganger sitting next to them on the bench, but that seems to be a common occurrence (laughs) in the Premier League. So thumbs up to Newcastle supporters, thumbs down to Jurgen Klopp, and then thumbs up to Newcastle, or excuse me, to Liverpool for looking very, very sharp. Uh, They had a sloppy first 10 minutes or so, but after that, they looked confident, they looked dominant. Graham, did you see things you liked from Liverpool in this one, aside from Klopp without glasses? So the Klopp without glasses thing is also unsettling to me. He used to be Thank one you. of the analysts, and now he's trying to be one of the one of the cool kids. And I think he'll always be an analyst at heart. Jurgen Klopp, in terms of his team right now, I know it was only a couple of weeks ago that Liverpool were losing to Brighton and Wolves, and that Brighton performance in particular was dreadful. Maybe the worst of the season so far. But I do get the sense that Liverpool are. They're in a better place now than they've been at various points of the season so far. And I think we've seen a shift from Liverpool in in particular the, in, in, the, in the last two games against Everton and then in this match against uh, Newcastle. And it feels like they are placing an emphasis on, on being a, a counter-attacking team. And obviously, they've always had their roots in that. Initially under Klopp, that's what they were. They were, they were a team that played in quick transition. And then they became a little bit more possession-based, but... This match was very much about hitting Newcastle on on the break on the break very quickly, and the game plan worked. and And Darwin Nunes, he just gives you so much on the break as he demonstrated for the first goal. And Cody Gakpo is is also useful in that way. But 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 one player who I think has made this change possible, and maybe it isn't spoken about as much, is uh, Stefan uh, by I think is how you say his uh, his surname. I should I, probably know. I've said by it now, once but... this season, and it took me about five minutes of research to feel like I was even close to an approximation of it. So uh, I'll give you credit Was that right Graham. then? I don't Bajetic? even remember. I, I can't remember if that was like Bayecic. I, I, either way, either way, I know who you're talking about. And yeah, he good. 
yeah, we're, so we're going to have to learn how to pronounce his name properly because I think he is he is sticking around. He's been a, an important player for Liverpool in maybe the last four or five games that they've played. Certainly the games against Everton and, and this one against Newcastle. He, he has actually been a little bit of a revelation for Liverpool since he came into the, the team. He plays at the base of the midfield and so a lot of his job naturally is about stopping opposition attacks. But he is also brilliant at starting attacks and conducting attacks. And it's been a while since Liverpool have had a player who they can feed the ball to from the back, have him spin and then either carry it forward or spray a pass from deep. And he did this brilliantly for the Gakpo goal where he takes a pass. I can't remember if it's from Allison or one of the central defenders, but he takes a pass maybe 25, 30 yards out from his own goal. He, he's got two Newcastle players closing him down. He loses both of them by spinning very quickly. And then all of a sudden the, the pitch is completely open. He can stride forward into 20 yards of space. Then he plays the ball out left. And then even the movement from Gakpo and Salah and Alexander-Arnold as well. And Salah playing that little clip ball over the top for, uh, for, for Gakpo to run through for the finish. It was like watching Liverpool again. It, 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 was, it was remarkable how reminiscent it was of Liverpool moves we've seen in the past. So Jurgen Klopp afterwards said that they'd been working on things like that all season. Uh, his, his, his exact quote was they'd been working on that for months, which kind of underlined and highlighted some exasperation that they haven't been able to pull off a move like that before now. But I think by Shetich coming into the team, I think Cody Gakpo, we're starting to see him settle into that attack as well. Salah being out in the right wing where he, I think he's most comfortable and then Darwin Nunes just being a pest and a nuisance with balls over the top. It does feel like Liverpool have started to find an identity again as a team. Speaking of of Liverpool pulling off moves, Graham, they pulled off a 33-minute move when they flew from Newcastle to Liverpool. That has been (laughs) the subject of much debate when it comes to uh, green initiatives and the idea of having a charter flight to, to make that short little hop. Liverpool, I think, arguing they needed to do so to be ready for their, their midweek games. But it does make me wonder, uh, to both of you, what is the shortest flight you've ever flown on? Because I think, I Ooh. think Richmond to Charlotte, which is obviously a big hub here on the East Coast, is, I think it's like 45 minutes. It might be just over an hour. I think 33. I don't think I've come close to that one, but maybe either of you have. No, I so, I don't think I've dipped under an hour. Phoenix to LA uh, is what like an hour and fifteen minutes, an hour and a half somewhere in there. I think I think Phoenix to LA is probably the f- the shortest I've been on. Graham, where are you? Glasgow to Amsterdam is forty five minutes, and is. I don't feel so bad about flying that one yeah. because there's you know the North <laughs> Sea in between those two places. Uh, London is is you're you're either an hour or Glasgow to London is like an hour or just under an hour. I guess you could drive that, but that would take like seven hours to do that um maybe more with traffic but yeah 33 minute flight from liverpool to newcastle i can't i don't know if i've i've ever driven directly from liverpool to newcastle but i i can't imagine that journey would take what more than two and a half hours maybe it yeah it felt it felt like they just booked a flight and then realized this might not be great optics and had to come up with an explainer for it uh graham i do think that you you should be criticized for not driving across the north sea yeah that does shocking feel, that frankly. does feel right i mean that's just a shocking you gotta drive better there graham he has to drive better there <laughs> Mm. This this is this is very reminiscent of the time that Boris Johnson, who clearly doesn't know anything else, anything about the rest of the UK up beyond London, a bit of a Ryan Bailey in that respect, <laughs> uh, said that you could drive, you, you, you could you could drive from Scotland to Northern Ireland, ignoring the giant body of water that exists between those two places. <laughs> oh, Graham, that was so good. Oh, that was so good. 
Uh, Ryan Bailey will be back later in the week. I look forward to his uh, his rebuttals to any of these allegations. Uh, one oh. more Premier League game to be mentioned uh, for me. Uh, Tottenham 2, West Ham nil. Um, just, I, I tried to find a way to say this creatively because it just, it's so very obvious. But thumbs up to Harry Kane for being very good. He is just very, very good. And I found myself... Uh, enjoying just watching his movement in this game. I think that is a thing that I don't always really give him the credit for. We talk a lot about him dropping in and linking up play, and he does plenty of that here. He has a great moment where he has a, a ball over the top that like, he has no business being able to see, but he hits perfectly. It doesn't end up in a goal, but he gets the assist for the second goal in this game with, with, with doing exactly that, dropping in, linking up, turning, playing forward. But then also... He makes a run wide for the opener for Spurs that just he takes two defenders with him because they're so focused on him. It just clears out all that space for Davies and a great ball from Hoybjerg. And I just it's just worth for me, at least pausing for a moment to just praise Harry Kane, because it has not been a great season for Tottenham or not. It hasn't been the season I think they expected so far, we'll see how things play out. We'll see if Antonio Conte returns and what might happen there. But Harry Kane really is just an ever-present fixture for them and an ever-present bright spot for them, even in the moments when it seems like maybe he wants to leave. He has not yet done so. He has instead stayed there, been a great player for them, and a reliable, consistent player for them. So hats off to Harry Kane. Thumbs up to him. Would either of you like to say anything about Harry Kane at top number West Ham before we keep it moving? I will take your silence to mean that we should keep it moving to the Bundesliga. So we had a bit of madness this weekend, a lot of madness this weekend over in Germany. Joe, you want to run us through it? Oh, my word. So the the place to start here, for me at least, is with Borussia Mönchengladbach's 3-2 win over Bayern Munich. Bayern still top of the table, but there are now three teams tied on points at the top. So it's Bayern Munich on 43 points. It's Borussia Dortmund on 43 points. It's Union Berlin on 43 points. Bayern on top by goal difference by like a country mile. I don't think anybody's going to catch them on goal difference between now and the end of the season. So it is all about the points battle. Bayern have the tiebreaker locked up already. But this game against Gladbach was uh, truly wild. So there's a, a goal in the 13th minute from, from Stindl. Set piece routine, good finish, first time from the outside of the box. Then Bayern get a goal back in the 35th minute. Then Gladbach go ahead in the 55th. Then Gladbach go ahead by an even larger margin off of a, a nice Marcus Duram goal that comes from a daily blend whiff in the left side of uh, Bayern Munich's back line. And then Bayern get a, a consolation goal in the 93rd minute. But a lot of this stemmed from, at least in my view, the red card to Upamecano, which comes inside the first 10 minutes of this match, brings, uh, brings Gladbach down, and he is the last defender. Julian Nagelsmann was not happy about that change. He was not happy about that decision. He confronted a referee after the game and then had to come out and apologize. And apparently the the German Football Association is going to be looking into all of this and going to ask him some some very serious questions about what's gone down. That's my paraphrase of the reports that have come out of all of this. So a a truly wild and chaotic game there. Germany in general, right? I mean, it, it doesn't have the the mass interest right now of the the Premier League title race, which is just sort of on a on a different plane. But this is like the best Bundesliga title race I can remember in quite some time. Bayern doing their thing. You've got those other teams that I mentioned coming up behind. The other the other good part about this game, sorry that I, I haven't mentioned then I'll flip it back to you, Taylor, is uh thumbs up to the the trophy it wasn't a trophy celebration. Shoot, it's like a like here's a memento to Jan Summer of your time uh, with with Gladbach. Gladbach give him like this nice big frame with pictures of his time uh, with the club. Now that he's moved over to Bayern Munich, it looks like there's a nice little personalized message in there to uh, to Jan Summer. 
And then they go out and, and beat Jan Sommer and Bayern Munich, which I thought was just like the perfect ending to that uh, little ceremony that happened before the game. So in general, this game was crazy and wild and chaotic. Red card, referee controversy, goals galore, title implications, all that stuff. German soccer in general right now is is just kind of on one. Joe, a uh, question about Dortmund for you for a moment. Uh, we got to make it about Americans uh, if and when we can. Uh, Kareem Adeyemi comes out of this game in the first half uh, with another injury. He's already had one pretty lengthy one this season. And it's Jamie Bino Gittens coming in, Gittens coming in uh, in his place. Gio Reyna, meanwhile, stays on the bench. I did see a few people speculating this weekend that maybe Bino Gittens has surpassed Gio Reyna mm. in that depth chart. Do you put any stock into that one, or is that one we'll just have to keep an eye on and see how it plays out? I I would be surprised. Not that Bino Gittens isn't talented. 18 years old, three goals in, in 10 Bundesliga games so far this year. He's a, he's a nice young player. I I would wager this has to do with Gio Reyna's fitness more than it has to do with pretty much anything else, which is a topic that makes a lot of people angry on USMNT Twitter, <laughs> stemming from the World Cup and how Greg Berhalter handled all of that. I don't know what his status is, but I do know that Eden Terzic came out and said a few weeks ago, maybe a month ago now, that Reyna still wasn't fully fit. Um, and so I, I would imagine that has something to do with why we haven't been seeing him as much, but so, certainly something to watch for, both uh, because... Gio Reyna might have been passed up in the depth chart, which is important and something we should we should know more about and talk more about. Or uh, he's really struggling with injury, which is also something that we should keep monitoring. So I don't know for sure, Taylor, but uh, it is a situation to watch. Another strange situation to watch. I'm moving us away from Gio Reyna's injury before I get angry phone calls from family members. Uh, and is instead to talk about the color blue, where we obviously thought this show would end. Uh, Joe, uh, I don't know if you've seen the bottom of the table, but all four clubs wear blue. Redder, Reddit pointed this one out for me, and it is true. Hoffenheim, Bochum, Hertha Berlin, and Schalke. It's not a great time to be a, bl- a blue club in the Bundesliga. I think that's the major takeaway from this weekend's action. I couldn't tell if we were going kids TV. I didn't know where we were going in that direction. Uh, Bluey, I thought, might make an appearance. Yep. I wasn't exactly sure. Uh, the, the big storyline here for me, Taylor, and I think for folks that listen to this show, is that Pellegrino Matarazzo's Hoffenheim team hey. is just out of the relegation zone based on goal difference. They are level with Bochum on points. They're on 19, Bochum's on 19. Matarazzo has a bit of a job to do mm-hmm. over the rest of the season to keep Hoffenheim out of the relegation zone. If he goes there and gets relegated after struggling in in a lot of different ways with Stuttgart, that's troubling for him. So we'll see what happens there as well. But Taylor, man, astute color observations from you to end this show. I did not expect that coming into today, but a thousand percent right on your part. Well done. Uh, yeah, thank you. I mean, again, I think it's mostly right and I'll give the credit to, but I'll take that one no, as well. Col- no, colors are important, toddlers yep. of the world. Colors are important. Uh, so too is winning. So we should let uh, Hoffenheim know that. We should let Bayern Munich know that. I really appreciate Bayern uh, and Dortmund and then Man City and Arsenal just keeping the title race conversations alive this season by making things very topsy-turvy and back and forth. So I'm assuming we will have much more to say about the, the German title race and the English title race. Uh, should note very briefly... PSG winning on the weekend, uh, a dramatic win. My nephew, who's a PSG fan now, uh, much to my chagrin, uh, very happy with that one. But Neymar picks up an ankle injury. He will be out for the Champions League second leg, most likely. I don't know if that makes PSG happy or sad at this point. I'm really not ever entirely sure who is in good standing at PSG aside from killing Mbappe. Uh, But at least he gives Neymar time to rest up slash go out and party and then eat at McDonald's. Uh, On that note, uh, Joe, thank you very much uh, for, for talking all things Weekend Review with me today. 
You got it, Taylor. And listeners, uh, you may have noticed that Graham has left us. Graham's laptop may have caught up with him. I feel slightly bad about teasing him early on. Uh, but then Joe and I, I think, were monitoring the situation the way a physio monitors a player who picked up a knock early in the game. And then you're just sort of watching them to see if there's any signs of discomfort. Uh, it sounds like Graham's laptop did have some discomfort. Hopefully he will be back to full fitness tomorrow when we start previewing the Major League Soccer season. Uh, it will be an episode that is either around an hour long or, again, 19 hours long, depending on how much information we're able to get through in short order. Uh, but, Joe, thank you for being here. Listeners, thank you for sticking with us, and we will talk to you again very, very soon. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic.